This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at leadtowin leaderscore. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're going to show you that it's possible to achieve your biggest dreams. And that journey begins right inside your own head. We've got seven steps to begin thinking big. It's funny how our ability to achieve our biggest dreams, you know, is is really a function of our thinking. It it's is. not usually a function of what's possible. It's a function of our thinking. All starts there. Um, yeah, but we're kind of taught to be realistic in our thinking. But the truth is that Everybody's got some kind of big dream that's buried somewhere in their heart or their mind. And when we don't act like it and we live in denial, then we have regret. Um, so today, we're going to show you a better way. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I just have to say something before I invite Larry to join us. And that is, uh, it's not original with me, but somebody said, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid and you say, well, I want to be an astronaut, everybody thinks that's really cute, you know, be an astronaut. But when you say that when you're in high school, people say, you know, you need to be a little bit more realistic. Yeah. And so that kind of gets squeezed out of us as we get older. And if you're not careful, you end up just playing small. True. So Larry's our senior writer. We're glad he's here and he's going to lead us through this content. So welcome. Hey guys. Great to be here. Hey Larry. I know when I've had to make a mindset shift, you, you talk about this thinking big, it's really just a matter of mindset. I don't usually come to this on my own. Uh, something has to jar me to shake loose my thinking. So I'm wondering, what was it that had that effect on you? What jarred you into going from playing small to thinking big? So recently we aired a podcast episode that was my speech from our Best Year Ever live event around the new year. And in that speech, I talk all about my fear of public speaking, which has been historical for me. It's been true since high school, and it's been epic in its scale in my life. And there was just kind of a moment last year, kind of over the summer, when I realized that it was a now or never, that if I if I didn't choose to overcome that fear and really step into kind of what my destiny, my calling was becoming that my life was going to get smaller and smaller, you know, that I would have to say no to more things and more things over time. And it, it was finally just untenable to me. Like that was not a reality that I was okay with anymore. And so I chose to kind of push through the barriers in my own mind and go for something that was really big and scary because I was just, I was just sick of being afraid all the time. That's an amazing bit of self-awareness. Well, it, it was like 20 years to the making, so okay. <laughs> it didn't come quick, but, but it came right. finally. <laughs> right. My dad was very committed to positive thinking. In fact, he only paid me to ever read one book, and it was The Power of Positive Thinking. He paid me to read that when I was in high school. How much? 20 bucks. What? Wow. Which, That's a lot you know, of money back then. Yeah, back then that was a lot of money, um, and I, I was highly motivated to read it. And I sort of got a, addicted to motivational literature. So that kind of opened me up to the possibility that that there's more out there than that we could experience. I remember going to a Tony Robbins conference. The first time I ever did that, my head kind of exploded. And then when I read a book called The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz, he says, to achieve big, you've got to think big. And that was kind of the first time that it came home for me that inside of our thinking is everything we're going to create in the future. 
And if we think small, we're going to create a small future. If we think big, we can create a bigger future. And I'm not one of these people that, you know, believes in in the concept like the secret. You know, if you just think it, then if you think it often enough, then it'll just happen. Because I think there's a lot of hard work that has to happen. But I do think that it starts with our thinking and that we can learn to think bigger. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, we hope this podcast will be the catalyst, that jarring moment that causes somebody out there to say, the world can be bigger for me than I thought it could be. And we've got seven steps to opening up those possibilities. And step one is this, imagine the possibilities. Yeah, I I think when you're just starting this journey, you've got to give yourself permission to dream. Kind of like we were talking about um, at the beginning of the show, that over time, and it often happens so incrementally and so slowly that you don't realize it's happening, but our ability to dream gets shut down. You know, we have all the objections that come up in our own thinking before that dream even has a chance to develop some roots and, and, you know, have the ability to grow. So what we've got to learn to do is to suspend disbelief. You know, what if that could happen? What, what if those barriers had a solution to them? Not that they magically disappeared, but what if they had a solution that was, was possible? But start asking yourself open-ended questions like, if I could do anything, what would it be? What is a childhood dream that I've forgotten as I've grown up? For some of us, that's going to take a couple of minutes to really think about that and, and get back in touch with those things because we're so oriented towards survival and the day-to-day pressures of life that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to have vision mm-hmm. um, for what we really want. Do you think that's in part because we so desperately want to avoid failure? And when we start creating these possibilities, we realize that it, it may require that we go out a little bit on a limb and we might fail? Well, at least I think it's that we want to avoid uncertainty. I think uncertainty is very uncomfortable. And the older we get and the more successful we, we've become, the more there is that's at stake that we could lose, whether that's you know humiliation from failure or financial loss or just disruption in our life if our life is pretty comfortable. I mean, I think reconciling yourself to uncertainty is an important part of this process. You know what's interesting about this? I, I recall hearing Dan Sullivan talk about this. And he says that a lot of entrepreneurs get successful because they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to imagine the impossible. They're willing to innovate. And then once they become successful, then they try to avoid that like crazy because (laughs) they try to create a life where there's no uncertainty, you know, and where there's no risk. And he said, that's kind of what inevitably leads you to uh, flatten out or to go into decline. So I think this is particularly important for leaders to imagine the possibilities to constantly keep reimagining and keep thinking about what's possible beyond what I've already accomplished. So step number one to thinking big, imagine the possibility, suspend your disbelief and just imagine what could happen. Step number two, write down your dream. Why is that so important? I think this is important because as the old saying goes, thoughts disentangle themselves passing over the lips and through pencil tips. So there's something about writing that brings clarity. And before you can begin to pursue something and really have a chance of achieving it, you got to be clear about what you're, you're trying to do. So for example, we're about to start on a 
big renovation in our house. We're going to enlarge our den in the back of the house and add a breakfast nook and a few other things. So we didn't just, you know, go to Home Depot and buy a bunch of lumber and then have this vague idea of what we're going to do and just start hammering things together. First of all, me with a hammer is a scary thought. But <laughs> no, we didn't do that. So we, you know, we hired an architect. We got all the plans drawn up. We had a couple different contractors come in, bid on the job. Uh, we had an interior designer come in and, and help us envision what it was going to look like when it was all furnished. So all that was that work that in essence was writing it down uh, before we before we did it. And several years ago, I read a book. In fact, I had the kids read a book by Henriette Klosser called Write It Down, Make It Happen. And so, Megan, I don't know if you remember this, but it was right after Mindy got married. I do remember this. So I don't know what year that would have been. 2000, 2001. But yeah, so everybody else went with us to the beach, all the rest of the girls. She was the first one to get married. So obviously she was on her honeymoon. We went to the beach to recover from that wedding, which was huge. And we all read this book. And then what I encourage everybody to do is to write down a hundred things that they'd like to accomplish before they die. And so everybody had yellow legal pads. And at night, do you remember this? Mm -hmm. And we would compare notes. And the funny thing about that was I ended up entering all that stuff into an Excel spreadsheet. Of course you did. And about <laughs> about it, I think you're making fun of me. I don't know. But so about uh, 10 years later, I hadn't opened that list and I, I just stumbled upon it. I went through that list of a hundred things and I was shocked at how many of them had already taken place. Yeah. Well, I have another story that's similar to that. It's funny when you were saying that, I thought of how many things in my life that I have started by writing them down and then ultimately they have become a reality. And, and you know, I could never like see the path, by the way, of how I was going to get there at the beginning. But when um, Joel and I, before Joel and I were dating, I was engaged to somebody else. It had ended really badly. I called off my wedding three weeks before it happened. I think I've told that story before on the podcast. Uh, it was really devastating. And, you know, after I kind of had had recovered somewhat from that. And I was thinking about, you know, if I would ever get married again, I wrote a list of a hundred things I wanted in my husband, my future husband, which by the way, it's kind of hard to think of anything after about like number 20. I mean, a hundred is a lot of things. Um, what was crazy is that after Joel and I, you know, got connected, we actually knew each other a little bit previously, but once we got connected and then ultimately started dating, I found that list and I read it and there were only two or three things out of a hundred that he did not like, you know, check the box of. And they were things like, you know, being tall, wearing cowboy boots, which for some reason was important to me at the time. <laughs> Not important to me now, as it turns out. Um, and I don't know. Something full head else. of hair. Yeah, full head of hair. He's bald. Uh, you know, But it was amazing at just how that intention, I think, really kind of like directed me from that point forward. So it's kind of amazing. All the single men listening are now petrified. <laughs> about this list that they know is out there in every woman's mind. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, I did the same thing though. This was 40 some odd years ago, but I did the same exact thing in college at the urging of a college pastor who said, you know, you ought to be clear about the kind of person you want to marry. So I made this whole list. I wasn't in a relationship at all, but it, it certainly helped me recognize Gail when she showed up. Here's the question I want to ask for each of you. When you say write down your dream, is this the same as goal creation? Because we talk a lot about goal creation here. Are these goals? Are dreams and goals the same thing? I would call it pre-goal. Yeah, me too. I would call this the, st the stating of an aspiration or a vision. I, I think one of the one of the problems, and we've tried to do this the last uh, live events that we've done for Best Year Ever, where we try to give people an opportunity 
to dream without feeling like they've got to have it in a specific uh, format like the smarter framework. Because that then you all get get all gunked up in the technicality of it and and miss just the fun of dreaming again. And so that's like in that first step, imagine the possibilities. That's all about dreaming. And then you can start to get more specific when you talk about writing it down. But at this point, I would not, you know, reduce it to goals. You can do that later. But right now you just want to get some clarity about what it is you're seeing. So step number one to thinking big, imagine the possibilities. Step two, write down your dream. Step three is connect with what's at stake. So this is one that's easy to skip over, but it's going to be the fuel for actually uh, realizing your dream later on. You've got to get really clear on your why. Why does this matter? What is at stake? Um, You don't want to skip this because this is what you're going to draw on when you hit setbacks along the way. And I would say anything important that I've ever accomplished, I had a really clear sense of what was at stake. Um, For example, back to my story of giving the speeches that I did in the last uh, year, you know, for me, it was like, I was either going to be in bondage to this fear, or I was going to finally be free. And that was pretty compelling to me, you know, live in fear or don't live in fear and have the the freedom to to do anything that came my way, any opportunity that I had to use my voice, that I was going to feel free to do that, you know, and I started thinking about um, issues and causes that I care about and how I might be called upon to speak on those things one day. And I would hate to have to say no, because I was afraid, you know, what a, a lame answer that would be to, to say, no, I, I can't use my position for good, because I just don't want to get up and, and talk in front of people. So that really propelled me when, in all honesty, I went through, you know, six weeks for the first speech of brutal mental battling against those old fears. I mean, every single day of those six weeks leading up to that first speech were incredibly difficult. And and being clear on what was at stake kept me going when I wanted to give up every one of those days. When you say what's at stake, are you talking about... Positive outcomes or negative things to avoid or both? Kind of both, I think. You know, like, well, I I would think of it in terms of what's at stake for myself, positively and negatively, and then what's at stake for other people. You know, if you're talking about a really big dream, it may really impact the people that you care about most. It may also impact people you don't even know yet. And there's something at stake for those people. You know, if you're talking about starting a a ministry or a nonprofit or some kind of initiative or uh, a business, I mean, there are people, customers, clients, um, patients, whoever it is that you're going to serve, who are going to need what you have to bring to the table. And if you don't, they're going to suffer. And if you do, they're going to be empowered in some way that's really meaningful. The important thing about this is that it gives you leverage with yourself. Right. So in other words, it it creates the must. You know, here's why I must do this, because uh, without it, I'm not going to experience, you know, whatever the positive thing is, or I'm not going to avoid the negative thing. So, you know, I, I can think of whether it was writing books or, you know, helping fund, as we did one year, uh, the building of a school in Kenya. You know, what's at stake with that? It was a dream. But what's at stake? You know, in that particular case, there were kids that were not going to be educated. Uh, there was an opportunity I was going to miss uh, that if I didn't do that. But that created the leverage for me to fulfill the dream. Do you guys write this part down too? Is this part of writing your dream? Do you write the what's at stake? 
For me, it does as it becomes a goal, because eventually this is going to be reduced to a goal. And yeah, it does become a part of the goal. Yeah, eventually. Not at the beginning, though. I would say this feels like the most vulnerable part. Once you have focused in on uh, the thing that that is your dream, and then you start realizing how big it really is and why it matters, that's a vulnerable exercise. And so it, it takes a while, I think, of kind of sitting in it and thinking through it and visualizing it, at least for me, before I'm ready to write it down. I certainly would not put the pressure on myself of formalizing it either into a goal or, or a specific why until I gave myself some space to think about it because, you know, putting it in black and white is an even bigger deal than thinking of it for the first time. I, I didn't think about this when we started this show, but I'm just going to ask you a question and you can be as vulnerable as you want or not. You can punt. But recently you made the decision to adopt again. Yeah. So you may, you have this dream, right? which is... Was, was a little bit crazy because you already have four kids. Right. But you wanted to adopt, in this case, domestically. Right. Your previous two kids that you adopted were from Africa. And so you had a dream, but what was at stake for you in this adoption? In other words, what was the positive? Yeah. And what was the negative if you did Well, if I kind of go back to the beginning, you know, the dream of adoption and really the dream of getting to start from the the beginning with a baby, which I did not get to do with any of my other four kids. My two older children are my stepchildren from Joel's first marriage, and our younger two boys came home when they were three and 14 months, um, and that was very challenging. They had a, a lot of challenges to overcome. Um, you know, that that there was a kind of a part of parenting that I had not experienced and and really felt like I wouldn't, you know, we, our youngest son now is uh, almost nine. And so Joel and I, for all intents and purposes, thought we were done having kids. Uh, we were kind of on to, to other things. And I, uh, around the new year, I kind of felt this dream stir in my heart again, um, to, to have a baby and to, to have one more child in our family, um, as some women in our office had babies and, you know, Joel and I talked about it and to just kind of say it out loud was a scary thing, but I, I felt like what was at stake was was, you know, there's another person that's supposed to be in our family that um, if we just kind of continue on the path that we're on, we're going to miss out on knowing. We're going to miss out on loving. We're going to miss out on our hearts being able to expand and experience that uh, with another child again in a different way than we've been able to uh, before. So, and, and really that would have been driven by a sense of scarcity and fear if we didn't do it. And I think what I realized coming out of the experience with my speech um, was that there, I don't want anything in my life to be a no because I'm afraid of it. There are plenty of things that I'll mm. say no to um, for That's good powerful. reasons, but but it's not going to be because I'm afraid of it because I can overcome that. Um, and so as we started exploring this and then had calls with the adoption consultancy that we have ended up working with, and we're right at the beginning of of being you know ready to accept a child. Um, you know, it was just exciting to think like this is a possibility, and and there's a lot at stake positively and negatively. And also, you know, I should say for the child too, for this baby that's going to join our family. Um, we don't know whether it'll be a boy or a girl, but not only are there things at stake for us, but but there's a baby somewhere that needs a family. Um, and we are, are a unique kind of family that can um, help that child grow up and realize his or her, her potential in a way that um, without us wouldn't be possible. And in the same way, you know, there are, are things at stake for us as parents. Hey friends, Mike Boyer here with some great news. Michael's latest book, Free to Focus, hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. To celebrate, we're releasing another chapter as a bonus episode this week. 
It's all about how to beat interruptions and distractions so you can focus on what matters most. If you're a subscriber, it'll hit your inbox on Thursday, May 9th. If you're not subscribed yet, you can do that right now by tapping subscribe on your device or visit lead2.win slash subscribe for simple instructions. So step three is connect with what's at stake and step four to thinking big, outline what would have to be true. I think I feel like we're getting more into the how area now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely are. Because I think that one of the things that kills dreams is they die at this stage, at the house stage, because people can't see a path from here to there, and they assume there isn't a path from here to there, and so they just give up. And sometimes we just have to hold on tenaciously to that dream and really connect with our why, like we've talked about, and then all of a sudden the how becomes clear. But one of the best things we can do is ask ourselves the question, what would have to be true? So at one point after I was into this new career of speaking and writing, that I was out on the road 60 to 70 times a year speaking. And what I thought I wanted to do turned out to be something that I didn't really enjoy that much. I didn't like being away from my home. I didn't like living on the road. So I had this dream of how could I continue to grow my income? How could I continue to grow my business and yet only do three or four speaking engagements a year? I didn't mind speaking in Nashville. If I could create events here, that'd be awesome, which eventually turned into something for us. But how could I get off the road? And, you know, I talked to some of my friends that were speakers and they said, well, look, there's no way to do it. I mean, this is how you make money. If you're going to be a speaker and a writer, book income is not going to be that significant. You're going to have to get out there and basically, you know, talk for money. So I said, wait a second, what would have to be true? And I can remember having this conversation with you at the very beginning. And we said, it's probably going to take 18 months. We talked to my booking agents at the time, and uh, I don't think they were initially very happy about it, but... Um, they kind of caught the vision for it, but it took about 18 months. But what would have to be true? Well, we would have to replace that speaking income with something else that led to platform university. So that made it possible. That was the means, which we couldn't see at the time that made all that possible. But if I hadn't had the dream and if I hadn't asked the question, what would have to be true? I wouldn't have even been open to that possibility. Well, and like in our situation with considering adoption, ultimately deciding to adopt again, one of the biggest obstacles in my mind was, well, I mean, I'm I'm leading this business. My career is kind of in its most intense phase, you know, to date. And we have a very clear uh, picture kind of ahead of us of where that's going. And it's it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. And so how could I possibly have a new baby at this season of my career? I mean, there's not a lot of moms of five kids running big businesses, you know, right. for good reason. And so then, so that was like the obstacle. I started thinking, well, what would have to be true? Like how in the world could I take maternity leave? How could I make it work after I came back? And what was so interesting is that as I started to think about it and talk to other people in our company, all kinds of solutions started to present themselves. I ended up coming up with a whole plan for my maternity leave, which, you know, whatever point the baby's born, we'll um, execute on that plan. I'm, I'm totally prepared and ready to go at any point. I have a good plan for when I come back. Solutions that I never would have thought of before um, or just, you know, were not the way I was doing things now are apparent 
And I think when you have a really compelling sense of what's at stake and what your dream is, the how will show up, but you're not going to get the entire plan at the beginning. You're going to have to become kind of an expert in being tolerant and getting one piece at a time um, and just going from one thing like, you know, little lily pads across the pond. You're just going to go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And before you know it, you get there, but you're not going to see it all at the beginning. I want to talk about a dream in the making, Larry, before we move on. I could see that you wanted to do that. Um, (laughs) One of the dreams that we've had, in fact, it's part of our vision statement, is we want a company that's doing about $100 in revenue a year, and we said with less than 100 people. Mm -hmm. So that's an enormous constraint, and that's a very, very big dream. And so that when we talk about what has to be true, what has to be true is that constraint. It has to be done with less than 100 people. It has to have a certain profit margin. That's what forces innovation. Yes. Right? So we have to be super creative in order to do that. Now, if you had asked me a few years ago that I would I ever thought that this company would get to, you know, be an eight-figure business, I would have said, well, maybe someday. But that was like a big old dream. Well, we've passed that now. And so that's what, you know, it's it's the momentum of that that gives me the confidence that we'll hit the 100 million, you know, and so we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But um, what has to be true for that to happen? So the first four steps to thinking big, step one, imagine the possibilities. Number two, write down your dream. Step three, connect with what's at stake. Step four begins to take us into the action phase, which is outline what would have to be true. And then step five, decide what you can do to affect the outcome. So I think the big idea here is that you want to focus on specific daily actions. And in particular, you want to focus on next actions. Again, you're not going to see the whole picture that I, I keep waiting for like the FedEx from God. That's like, here's the whole plan, just like paying by numbers, you know, and <laughs> it hasn't come yet. It hasn't come yet. Um, but what you will get is if you take the next action, it will naturally lead to the one after that. And so like in our adoption story, it was for me, my next action was sending an email to faithful adoption consultants, who is the consultancy that we're using out of Atlanta and just for like a discovery call, basically just kind of an inquiry about how their process worked. We didn't know if we wanted to use them. We didn't know if we were going to say yes or no. We hadn't decided if we were going to adopt or not. Um, But just that phone call was the next right action, which then led to the next and the next and the next one after that. And that principle is true in your personal life, like in that example. And it's absolutely true in your business. This is where if we're not careful, we overcomplicate it. Yeah. And because it's a dream and because it's out there a ways, you're not, as you said, Megan, so eloquently, you're not going to see the whole path. And I've heard the illustration. I love this illustration of, you know, driving through through a dark night with your headlights on. You can't see the entire path. You don't need to. You can see maybe 100 yards in the distance, and that's enough. And the same thing is true here. Mm-hmm. But it is important to take action on those things you do see. That's right. So those those are going to be hopefully easy things you can do. But again, move you toward what it is you're trying to accomplish ultimately. What you don't need to do is come up with a whole plan. You don't need a blueprint. You don't need a strategic plan You know, to get to your dream. You really just need to identify one, maybe two next actions and then take it from there. Well, that brings us to step six in thinking bigger, which is, hmm, set a deadline. This is where it starts to get real. If you don't set a deadline, it's only going to be a dream. And you want to start to reduce this to a goal. 
And one of the first ways to do that is a deadline. And this is what everybody resists because now all of a sudden it's starting to feel risky because if I put the deadline and it doesn't happen by that deadline. So for our, our goal to hit uh, hundred million in revenue, we said 2028. So that's 10 years in the future. And, you know, in our experience, and this, everybody says this, and it's really true, people tend to overestimate what they can do in the short term and underestimate what they can do in the long term. So the 10-year time horizon seems about right, but we've got a date on it. I think this idea of uh, setting a deadline goes back to the idea of constraints, because the deadline that you set for your dream, which is kind of now becoming a goal at this phase of the process, um, will drive the innovation and the clarity around your next actions that you need to really get moving. It also creates accountability. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the reasons, for example, in our business accelerator program, when we're working with our uh, business owner clients, we're always forcing them to establish a deadline. So they say, well, I want to do this. Okay, by when? Yeah. Because again, there's no accountability if it's just a dream. Once you put a date on it, and once we record that date, you know, then there's an accountability that I'm going to, going to do it by then. Now, obviously, if you, it's, it's only a guess. And you may get there and decide that you know, for whatever reason, I'm not going to be able to get it done by then. But at least it gets you moving in the right direction and creates the kind of urgency that'll force you to take the next action. And urgency is a huge helpful motivator when you're trying to accomplish big things. Well, speaking of big things and this deadline concept, building a $100 million company is a big thing. And 10 years is a long time. Is that too long to keep something urgent in your mind? I mean, obviously you don't think so in that case, but if I want to learn French, which is something I'm trying to do, if I give myself 10 years, I know I just won't ever do it. Right, because you just procrastinate because it's so yeah. far out there. Yeah, I think for us, you know, with a with a big goal like building a hundred million dollar company, you know, if you start looking at that as because we've literally projected the math out, you know, we know what we have to hit our targets. We were just looking at it yesterday, what our targets have to be by year in terms of revenue, what our profit targets have to be, what our personnel expansion has to look like. That's not the kind of thing you're talking about. We're just kind of hoping that you get started someday. You know, there's a lot riding. We're very clear at what's at stake. We're holding ourselves accountable. We've announced it to our team, and now I guess we've announced it to the world. So that creates some accountability that that's helpful, that drives activity. You know, that's not just going to happen without a lot of effort. I think it's important to say, too, that the scale of the dream dictates the timeline. So we're Definitely. talking about a dream and really now a goal for our business that's at a huge scale. And so it's going to take, you know, somewhere around 10 years, I mean, it could probably be as early as seven, but you know, somewhere between seven and 10 years to reach that goal. Um, but that's not true for learning French, you know? So I think what you want to do is have- It's like 20 years, at least for me. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, might be in my true. case, yeah. <laughs> I think what you want is a timeline that's big enough to be reasonable-ish, but tight enough to drive action. Well, I'll give you another example, like uh, the client. And again, I don't know if we talked about this on a previous show or not, but I had- um, a lady who's now our, our one of our clients who is a nurse practitioner who wanted to take a sabbatical because when I went in for an appointment, she said that, man, I'd love to be able to do that, but I can't imagine given my clinical practice that I could ever do that. And I said, well, what would have to be true? And so she started to think about it. Well, she couldn't do that the next summer from the time we were talking, but she planned it the summer after that. So that was enough time for her to get the things in place, what had to be true in order for, for that to take place. And even then, she didn't take four weeks off. I think she took two weeks off and went to Italy. And now this summer, she's taking three weeks off. 
So it's possible given enough time, but you want to have enough time to put things into place. So step six of thinking big, set a deadline. And that brings us to our final step, number seven, review your goals daily. This is important because most ideas don't fail. They get buried in our life under Mm -hmm. the busyness of uh, day-to-day living. And we fail because we lose visibility, not because we try and and we fall short. Um, So I think the the visibility piece is what we're after here. Um, And just incorporating that daily review of your goals into your morning routine, for example, your morning ritual, um, is a great way to not lose sight of the things that are the most important that you're pursuing. I, I totally agree with that. And and this is where it is helpful to reduce the dream to a goal. And one of the things I do in terms of my practice, of course, I follow the whole system that we developed in Your Best Year Ever, which, by the way, if you haven't picked up that book, that's a great book on goal achievement, if I don't say so myself. But uh, one of the things I talk about there is reviewing your goals on a daily basis. And so I have seven to 10 goals for the year, two to three for the quarter, and I'm reviewing those on a daily basis, asking myself the question, is there anything I could do today that would move me in the direction of the fulfillment of this goal, or in this context, uh, a dream? So if you lose visibility, you lose the dream. It dies. It's amazing how well this works, that when you review your goals daily and that next action comes to mind, it's always something simple. Usually you can do in five minutes, the next action, and mm-hmm. it'll stall if you don't take that five-minute action or in the time to review that goal. So amazing. So that reminds me of what we often do with our business accelerator coaching clients at the end of each of our coaching intensive days. It's called Five Minute Wins, and we basically give people five minutes uh, to log as many next actions in real time as they possibly can in five minutes. And we do this as a contest. So we have like prizes and giveaways. It's really, really fun. Um, but I think our record was like 13 yes, wins. I think that was right. right? 13. Uh, 13 next actions rather. And 13 things that someone accomplished in five minutes. And so these are things like send a text message, write an email, schedule a phone call, you know, something like that. What is amazing in that, because we've done it many times, what's amazing in that five minute window is that people not only do they complete, you know, sometimes upwards of 10 different next actions related to their goals, but they get responses on these things. So in five minutes, someone's texting them back. Someone is sending an email back. Someone has confirmed an appointment. Um, And so there's so much momentum coming out of that little exercise that they're really propelled onto the next thing. And what's great about that is you can do this on your own. You just set your timer. Um, This would be a great thing to include, you know, in an afternoon, one day a week. And if you just really need kind of a hit of motivation, this is a great way to do it. Sure is. Well, we've been talking about seven steps to thinking big, and I know there are people listening who've got a dream that's they're even afraid to voice. And hopefully we're giving them some permission to do that and some practical steps. And here they are. Step one, imagine the possibilities. Step two, write down your dream. Step three, connect with what is at stake. Step four, outline what would have to be true. Step five, decide what you can do to affect the outcome. Step six, set a deadline. And step seven, review your goals daily. Guys, any final thoughts for our listeners today? 
I would just say that if there's something that um, is on your heart or your mind, something that maybe you've buried or put on the back burner, or maybe even forgotten about, that it's worth excavating and remembering and taking action on. You know, the things that are your dreams and your heart of heart are not there by accident. And fear uh, is a terrible reason not to pursue the things that really matter. And that's really what gets in the way of thinking big um, and of our dreams is usually some kind of fear. Um, And if you can hit it head on, you can always move through it. I mean, I just, I can't think of an example in my life where when I really um, voiced something out loud that I wanted and when I articulated what I was afraid of and what the obstacles were and was committed to moving through it, that I remained stuck. Um, it's only when it's kind of back there in our mind and our heart mm-hmm. that um, that we don't have a chance. So I just want to encourage you to to own your dreams and to lean into those things. That's a great point. I think for me, my final thought is that thinking big is a skill that you can learn. And the best way to learn it, in my experience, is hang around people that think big. So the people that you associate with will either shrink your thinking or they will enlarge it. And so you need to be deliberate about finding the best people you can that think big and just hang out with them because it's contagious. You'll catch what they have. Michael and Megan, thank you for these powerful insights today. Hey, thanks, Larry. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you guys tuning in to Lead to Win. And join us next time when we're going to talk about what to do when you work for a bad boss, including some bad boss stories from our listeners. Until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win has been brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at leadto.win slash leaderscore.